All right. If you were here for Sunday school, you got to see a little video of the history of our church. And in that video was the song that I've actually asked Julia to sing this morning. And uh, I hope you don't mind hearing it again. But just by way of introduction, as it ties in with the sermon and everything this morning, is, you know, we're here today, and praise the Lord, as of today, our church is 23 years old. That's a little bit of a history there. And uh, that those things are based on choices that we make. We make decisions that determine what's going to happen 10 20 years down the road. And this song talks about getting 20 years down the road and saying, I'd do it all again. And I'll tell you what, if you've ever made a decision to be obedient to Christ, you sing that song. Amen. And so listen closely and let it prepare you as we get to the sermon. Amen. This morning we're going to be looking at several different texts through, throughout our Bible. Uh, if you want to get started, uh, turn to Job chapter 23. We'll get there in just a few moments. But it seems the last couple of weeks have been talking with different people. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience or not, uh, but I, I call it a parallel universe. 
you just pass each other in the hall. You're saying the same words, but you mean different things. And it's just like nothing gets communicated. Has anybody else ever had that uh, opportunity to, to deal with someone like that, especially about spiritual matters? And, and one of the arguments that has been used uh, when people talk about this thing and they said, you, you seem so confident in what you think and what you understand about the Bible. Uh, don't you give credence to what else is out there? And my answer is simply, no, I don't. I, I really don't care what Mr. Hawkins or Dawkins or what? Uh, I don't even know how to spell his name. Uh, Hawkins, I think, is his name. Uh, claims to be the smartest man in the world, and that that may or may not be true. I I don't know. Uh, he doesn't make that claim. Others try to make it for him. And, uh, the, the, you know, people say that, well, the preponderance of evidence is, and then fill in the blank, evolution, Democrats are smart, um, Politicians don't lie. Um, I mean, just fill in the blank. The preponderance of evidence is uh, your King James Bible is not the Word of God. It's just one of many good translations. Uh, People have so many things that they say evidence proves that the world is four and a half billion years old. How many of you are old enough to remember when the world was only a hundred million years old or two hundred million years old. I mean, they, they used to teach that when we were in school. Uh, the idea of a billion years never really occurred to anyone until they began trying to work out the probability of evolution. And, and I, honestly, I, I believe that uh, back in the 1850s, a hundred million was such a huge number that people couldn't even fathom it. But now that our national debt is about 17 trillion, uh, several billion is really not that hard to, to reason. And so all of a sudden, we go from hundreds of millions to billions of years to tens of billions of years. Our, our, our solar system, our universe is supposed to be Thirteen and a half billion years across. Everything we know is based on Einstein's theory. How many know what it's called? The theory of relativity. What does the word relativity mean? It means that things are not absolute in their relationship to each other. And yet it's energy equals mass times C squared. E equals MC squared. How many people know what the C is? What it stands for? I see one hand. Couple, there we go. Okay. Constant. That's why it's C. What is the constant of Einstein's theory of relativity? Now, doesn't that almost sound like a contradiction, there's a constant that makes the theory of relativity work. You see, what he's saying is everything is relative to the speed of light, which is his constant, squared. Now, when we're measuring 13 and a half billion light years across, what if his constant moved just a few degrees? No one in this room could live long enough or think long enough to get across 13 and a half billion years. But let's say we get out there six billion years and we hit one of uh, somebody's black holes and light slows down just a little bit. Or speeds up. You know what? It's just another attempt by man to explain God. I met a man yesterday on the street, and he says, Well, I don't believe in anything I can't understand. I said, 
That's like saying that God created us just like you created your computer and now your computer understands you. How many of you have ever talked to Siri? It's okay to admit it. I mean, you talk to your phone. Siri, what is so-and-so? And usually it'll come back with, I can't answer that question. Or something like that. Siri doesn't understand me. I don't talk to Siri. It, does, it just never works. It always ends up with, why do you ask that question? Of which I say, because I don't know the answer, stupid. And then, uh, then she just gets all confused and doesn't know what to do when you react uh, wrong, wrongly towards the computer. Uh, Brother Horton's GPS was going to send me off a bridge. It said, turn right. And I didn't turn right because we were on a highway. It says, turn right here. And it says, make a U-turn. And then we're out in the middle of the bridge, and it says, turn right now. I said, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Brother Horton, shut that thing up. I, I know the basic direction we're headed in. It had mixed up Indian Lake, Connecticut, with Indian Lake, New York. Indian Lake, New York's up in the Adirondacks. And uh, as we were passing the roads that went to Connecticut, she was getting rather emphatic that we would turn around. But the reason I say all that is we, we live in a world. And the point that I have tried to make and, and people don't get is there are choices that you make that will determine where you end up. Our, our first choice that I want to talk about is found here in Job chapter 23. Job chapter 23 and verse 12. Now, we don't have time to go through the entire book of Job this morning, or we would just get through, not even get through the first point of the message. But most of you are familiar, somewhat familiar with Job's story, how that he was a righteous man. In fact, he was arguably the most righteous man living on the earth in his day. And God chose him to make an example of him to the devil. Uh, one preacher, uh, I think it was uh, Brother Sam, put it this way. He says, it just amazes me how far God will go to prove a point to the devil. That will help you understand a little bit about what's going on in the book of Job. If you want the overall theme of the book of Job, it's simply let God be God. That's where Job got into trouble. Was he trying to figure out God? But Job came through all that he went through on the right side. And the key to that, even though he did have to be corrected, and by which, by the way, which one of us do not need correction? on a fairly regular basis, uh, by the Word of God. And that's the reason we meet on a regular basis in church, so we can hear the preaching and we can be moved in that direction. But Job had made a choice. And, and uh, here in Job chapter 23 and verse 12, it says, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth. More than my necessary food. He said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth. Now, you and I, we have something today that Job did not have. We have the written words of God. Now, Job made a choice. He said, I have esteemed the words of God... More than my necessary food. Now, we might evaluate it this way. How many of you could skip breakfast and be okay? And just operate pretty normal. I mean, how many of you could just go through no, no breakfast? And you might feel some hunger pangs or whatever, but a good cup of coffee and... 
and you're going to be moving through the day. I'd say most of us could do that. And uh, But it gets on about lunchtime, about 10 o'clock in the morning, if you skip breakfast, amen. Uh, but it gets on about lunchtime, and, and you're thinking, now, I miss breakfast, but I'm not going to miss this next meal. Because uh, I, I, I need some nourishment. And... Uh, that's the problem when you diet and you skip meals is you're, you're skipping all of those calories. But when you finally sit down to the table, uh, you have thought about it so much and you're anticipating it and your body desires it that you eat more calories in one sitting than you would have in three. And, and that's why it doesn't work that way. But uh, that is our necessary food. You can, the human body can go about... 40 days. But let me tell you something. If you haven't prepared your body to do that, you're not going to make it five before you start feeling sick and start having some very negative things. If you have any uh, maladies uh, like uh, processing maladies in your body like diabetes or thyroid or some of those things, you, you have to eat on a very regular basis or things start going drastically bad. Job said, I have esteemed thy words more. I have esteemed thy, the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Could I challenge you that thought right there, that ideal, that understanding of God's words is what kept Job close enough to God that he just needed a reprimand at the end of the book after having gone through all of those sore trials, after having been made an example throughout all of history of the patience of Job When he had gone through those deep waters, he just needed a little tiny bit of correction, a little boot in the right place to move him into where he was before it all started. I want to challenge you his choice at the beginning of this thing determined how he fared through the test. Would you agree with me on that point? There has got to be a choice in your life what you're going to do with this book. Because could I challenge you, the preponderance of evidence is against this book. Now, does that mean the preponderance of evidence is right? Well, could I ask you a question? When have most people been right about anything? I mean, they tell us in 1492, most people thought the world was flat. Uh, I don't think that's absolutely true. I think it's actually a hundred years before that. But it makes nice reading in the history books, doesn't it? Uh, That people thought that Columbus was actually going to sail off the end of the world. People, People just don't know. Somebody told me about a little meme or joke somebody made that uh, God promised that man would find a good wife in every corner of the earth and then smiled as he made it round. Amen? But the truth of the matter is, some of you will get that tomorrow. But the truth of the matter is, Choices determine the outcome. Where you start determines where you end. And if you don't start by believing that this book is God's words, not contains it. I remember the first time I heard that, I almost said amen to the professor that said it. And then I thought about it a minute. Wait a minute. You know what? An empty Coke can contains Coke, doesn't it? 
Because they make those cans in such a way that you can never get it all out. Until you turn it upside down on your light-colored dress slacks. Then, then it all comes out. I mean, it just will. Every time, or a white shirt, you can get the last few drops out on something that will, it will show up on. I, I, I'd like to get my hands on the engineer that devised that thing. But the simple truth of the matter is, that what this professor was trying to do was undermine our, uh, the faith of, our, of the students that were in the room, of which I was one of them, in the words of God. Because where he wanted our faith to be, though I, I don't even know that he was uh, specifically planning this, I'm not accusing his character of specifically planning to deceive, but when you have spent 20 years of your life studying languages and manuscripts and investing in all of this education... Do you really want to get up in front of your students and tell them that all that education really wasn't necessary? All you need to do is read your Bible. You see, where you start determines where you end. And see, he wanted our faith to be in education. To be in the fact that we could learn these ancient languages as he had learned and be able to study and, and do all of these things. And I, I would like to just challenge you today. I'm not smart enough to redo what's already been done. I don't have the time to reinvent the wheel when I could use it. Because I have it. Does that make sense to anybody? You see, there'll come a chance, there'll come a part time in your life where your ultimate faith in the Word of God is going to be tested. And the decision that you have made will then be revealed. I would like you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And we have an example of this. I like biblical examples. That's the reason these stories of these lives are put in the Bible. So that we can read and we can see these things. This is the life of King Saul, the first king of Israel. He was chosen by the Lord. The Bible says that God gave him a new heart. I believe that I will see Saul on the right side of eternity, because I can't find anywhere in the Bible where God takes His salvation away from anyone He's given it to. You can't lose your salvation, but I want to tell you something. You can lose just about everything else. And Saul did. Saul did lose everything else. But look at what Saul says here in verse 24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Do you get that? Samuel has come to him, and Samuel has pointed his finger in Saul's face and said, You did not keep the commandment of the Lord. And Saul's first answer was, Oh, yes, I did. I, I did everything you said. And Samuel goes, What is the bleeding of the, uh, of the sheep in my ears? He said, Where did they come from? He says, All oh, the people saved the best. And, and Samuel just kept pushing Saul into a corner and finally he couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't manipulate Samuel and so he confesses that he sinned. But then he gives an excuse. He said, I feared the people and I obeyed. Did you get it there? He said, I obeyed their words. I wonder how many young men and young women sitting in a cell 
on Rikers Island this morning would give a similar testimony to what Saul gave right here. Hmm? I was with my friends. I, I was just doing... I didn't want to do it, but my, my, my friends, uh, they, they would have hurt me. Uh, if you want an extreme example of this, go to the records of the Nuremberg trials of the Nazis after World War II. You know what their defense was? I had to obey the commandment of my superior officer. If I didn't do what he said, they would kill me. Well, let me tell you something. The judges that sat in judgment of those men said, that's not an excuse. And that is not a reason for doing the things that you did. And they were sentenced, many of them, to die. And should have been. Because there's a law that is higher than your commanding officer. Uh, There is a law that's more important than what your friends say today. Uh, There's something more important. I'll tell you what today. Follow your heart. Don't do that. Take care of your heart. Otherwise, it'll get all clogged up with cholesterol and you'll have a heart attack and die, right? Uh, Take care of it, but don't follow it. The fool seeketh to know his own heart. You see, you have to make a choice. And you can talk about the Bible all day long. Saul did. But when the moment of testing came, the real choice that he had already made was then revealed. And it was to his own destruction. It would be another 38 years before Saul finished being the king. But he never accomplished anything for God all that time. And finally, he had gotten so frustrated with God that he went to see a witch. He said, God's not going to answer me. Maybe the devil will. Well, the Lord answered him. And the next day, Saul was in eternity with the sons. But I want to challenge you today. Have you chosen the Word of God? Do you esteem what's written in this book more than your necessary food? Maybe someday I'll preach a sermon. I got some notes in and thinking about how to, to put it into a sermon, but... You know, you can go so long without water. You can go so long without food. You can go so long without sleep. How long can you go without reading your Bible? You know what? That ought to be the shortest one on the list. But it's not. It's not because we can quote-unquote, get away with it? No, you can't. You see, when you make a real decision in your life, guess what? You remake that decision every day. You wonder why people are married for 20 years and so, and then they get divorced? It's because they haven't remade that decision every day. That's why Jesus says, pick up your cross daily and follow me. It's 
not getting saved new every day. I remember years ago, a preacher preaching on salvation, and boy, I mean, he just made it so wonderful. I wish I was a Pentecostal so I could lose it and get it again just to have everything he's talking about in that sermon. And then I remembered something. When I got saved, I was only 11 years old. But I do remember the peace that came into my heart when I stopped praying and just trusted Jesus to save me. Amen? But I'll tell you what. It's like getting married. My wedding day was a beautiful day. But a little over a month ago, we celebrated 27 years. I'd rather have it now. It's a whole lot better now than it was back then. I understand a whole lot more now than I did then. I don't want to go back and start over again. That is the mindset of the unbeliever. That salvation is the ultimate goal and the end of everything. No, no, no. Salvation is the beginning. It's the baby steps. It's the start. It's the part of the cake that's on the bottom of the pan. The good stuff is up on top. Amen? Unless it's Deborah's cheesecake. Then it's good all the way through. I've still got an extra piece left over for lunch. Amen? But, uh, see, the first choice is the Word of God. Because nothing else makes any difference if you don't believe right about the Bible. You will never end up anywhere. And by the way, if you want to know what you ought to believe about the Bible, this Bible that you hold in your hand, if you have an old uh, 1611 Bible and if you ever meet one of those smart apples, they'll say, well, which King James do you use? Do you, do you use the 1611, the 1613, the 1769, or the 1828? Well, there was a fellow in New Jersey that took a facsimile copy of a 1611 King James, a photocopy of every page. Uh, the reason he didn't do it with an original is the last one that sold on the market went for about $2.4 million, and he didn't quite have that enough in his pocket to spend on this endeavor. So he got a true, identical photocopy of his 1611 King James Bible. And by the way, I have one in the office there if you want to see it after church. And he read through that Bible while he listened to Alexander Scorby Read a modern King James Bible on tape. And so he could hear every word as he read every word. He got the whole way through the Bible. And you know what? There were some differences. (gasps) There were some spelling differences. Do you know that spelling has changed since 1611? How many of you would like to believe that in the English language? How many of you are glad that? In 1611, if you were a good writer, you would never spell the same word the same way on the same page. That was one of the rules of writing. Now, the translators realized that could be very confusing. And so they didn't follow even the rules of their day, but they went through and they changed the spelling. And I think he found about 12 words and not one change changed the meaning of any verse in your Bible. So I'd say you could trust this. Because I'll tell you, if you want to know what happens at the end of a decision, look at people who have made decisions and what they're doing. You know, in politics, uh, I I don't understand everything, but I I know I have a few simple rules, and I hope this isn't offensive. This is just my opinion. If Hillary Clinton's for it, I'm against it. I can trust the people that do her research that if they like it, 
It's probably against the Bible. I mean, almost without exception, I don't know of anything uh, that, that she and I would actually agree on. And, and so you can use things like that to help you. Well, could I give you the history of my Bible college? I graduated in 1986. In May, it'll be 30 years since I've graduated. You know how many class reunions I've attended? Zero. You know why? Because when I was a student, when I arrived on campus at 17 years old, I carried not a King James Bible. I thought it was. I carried a new Schofield. And they had all kinds of word changes in the text based on, I didn't know it at the time, the ASV Bible that had gone out of print and the editors had uh, gone through and had followed many of the things in the ASV. And, of course, they came up with a few on their own. And and, uh, all of the changes were supposed to be in the marginal notes and everything was supposed to be an honest King James Bible until one of my friends showed me. It says, most every change. And then he showed me a places where it wasn't even noted at all. I don't know about you, but I think that was dishonest. But you know, when I walked on campus carrying my new Schofield Bible and people saw it, they said, hey, I think you got a problem there. I said, well, show me my problem. I'll get it fixed. They showed me my problem, and I haven't read that Bible since. I, I read this one, or one like it. I read a King James Bible, not one that somebody's messed with. Do you know that just this within the last 12 months, the president, this is the fourth different president since I was there, I believe, he said, Baptist Bible College has never stood for one text or one version of the Bible in the English language, which is a bold-faced lie. They fired half the professors that were on staff during my student there because they didn't believe the King James Bible was the Word of God. He now says that the college has never made that statement and the college does not endorse any translation in the English language nor any set of manuscripts from which it comes. And then he goes on to say, the preponderance of the evidence demands us to make this strong stand. Can I ask you, what is so strong about agreeing with the prevailing ignorance of the world in which we live? When I was a student there, they taught against contemporary Christian music. Though they sold some of it in the bookstore. (laughs) A little hypocritical there. You know who was contemporary Christian music when I was a student? Amy Grant. Sandy Patty, and uh, some guy named Green. If you went to Baptist Bible College and tried to play an Amy Grant song today, they would laugh you off the stage. It's not modern enough. It doesn't have a big enough beat. It's not rock and roll like they do today. In fact, they do not train song leaders there anymore. They train what they call worship leaders. Now, at our church, just so you understand, I am the worship leader. Because worship has to deal with obedience to the words in this book. Not swaying your hips to a rock and roll beat on a a stage singing words that talk about Jesus. But that's how far that college has come. I don't know of one major stand that they had in in the days when I was a student 30 years ago that they haven't compromised on in some incredible way. They used to preach about Baptist distinctives, and now they want to preach about inclusion, ecumenicism. I didn't believe it until I saw it printed in their paper. They had a Church of Christ preacher preach at a Baptist fellowship meeting. Now, a Christian church preacher believes that you're saved by faith through the waters of the baptistry. And if you believe that, you're not going to heaven. Even though you're saying all the same words. 
You see, they left this. And that's what they got. I don't want that to happen. To Open Door Bible Baptist Church. I know the Lord won't let me come back, but I'm going to be asking. Well, no, actually we got something a whole lot better. We've got our next pastor by God's grace in training. So that by the time he grows up enough to be the pastor of this church, he'll know what to do and how to do it so we can stay right on the same trail. Amen? You know what? I've only gotten through point one. I've got like four more points to go here. I uh, may have to turn this sermon into a series. I'm not sure. Uh, but, you see, they get a little easier after this because this one determines everything. Do you know that you have to choose to be saved? Uh, the Bible says, Jesus said, what? I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, if you happen to be here and you believe that that's my interpretation, I'd like you to interpret that verse. Turn turn with me there. Let's just take a moment here in this exercise. John chapter 14 and and verse 6. Jesus is speaking, and by the way... uh, since I believe the Bible, I don't believe that this was an interpolation and a rewrite of history by the disciples so that we could have faith in a Christ that they really weren't too sure about. Uh, people believe that kind of foolishness, but every one of those disciples died a violent death with the exception of John believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other organization that can boast that kind of loyalty to the quote-unquote truths or half-truths they teach. And if the, the testimony of the disciples isn't enough, you can read the histories of thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands who have laid down their life for the truth that is in this book called the Bible. Jesus said, I am the way. Okay? So, that means... If you're going to get where you're going, you've got to start with Jesus. Amen? He says, I am the truth. What he's saying is, if it disagrees with me, it is error. He says, all truth. Just hours after Jesus made this statement, Pontius Pilate is going to look at him in his judgment hall, and he's going to utter the famous question, what is truth? Jesus said, I am the truth. All truth is measured by me. And why? Because without him was not anything made that was made, according to the Bible. Amen? And so we come here and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you do not have Jesus, you do not have life. Oh, you may have a semblance of it, you may have a grasp, but it's only going to be sand running through your fingers. Because you only have what you have here on earth. If you want life, you have to have Jesus. There are no substitutes. He said, no man, no human being that has ever lived gets to the Father without going through Jesus Christ. He said, well, how can that be? The Jewish people didn't believe in Jesus Christ. Well, excuse me, who met Joshua outside the city of Jericho? Joshua said, whose side are you on? When he saw that armed man with the drawn sword standing against him, he says, nay. He says, I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. He said, I'm the captain of the Lord's host. And what did Joshua say? Please let me be on your side. And God gave him instructions for the taking of the city of Jericho. You see, 
The Bible either says what it means, it means what it says, or it doesn't. And we believe. If we choose to believe what the Bible says, then we can echo with the disciples in John chapter 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. They said these words to the very men that were physically responsible for putting Jesus on the cross. They said, there's no other name. You know what they were saying? There's no conflict between Jesus and all of the laws in the Old Testament. There is perfect agreement. We cannot find any contradictions. And God has sent Jesus to fulfill every part of the law. And if we want to go to heaven, we must believe in Him. But how many of you remember what Jesus said when the disciples asked Him, Are there few that be saved in Luke chapter 13? I have it printed in my outline. Just let me read it to you. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he, Jesus said unto them, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. He said there's going to be a whole lot of people who try to get to heaven and they're not going to be able to get there. They will not get through the straight gate, that narrow way. And every time I hear about that, the verse in Psalm 119, uh, verse 89 comes to mind, I think, or 98. He said, I find thy commandment exceeding broad. When I confine myself to the narrow way, I have more freedom than if I could do whatever I wanted. How many of you have ever tried? Don't raise your hands. But how many of you actually tried to do whatever you wanted? Think about it. You say, I never have tried because I never had enough money to pay for it. Thank God for your poorness. Amen? People who have tried everything have found that it's all worth nothing. But if you'll strive to enter in at that straight gate, you'll find salvation. You'll find purpose. You'll find direction. You'll find everything that you need in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, the only way you can know anything about Jesus, it's written down. Say, what about the Gospel of Thomas? You know what? No person who has believed this book has ever given one ounce of credence to what is well known as the pseudepigrapha. If we have any Latin people here, pseudo means false. They were known historically as the false writings. No one believed them. They weren't old enough. They weren't clean enough. They weren't right enough. There was nothing about those books that would merit them being added to the Scriptures. And so they weren't. And so we come here to our our second point. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. I love talking to somebody whose heart has been prepared. That the Holy Spirit's been doing the work in. And we'll get to the point, are you ready to get saved? Yes. And they'll pray. And they'll say, are you saved? They'll go, yeah. How do you know you're saved? Uh, well, um, and they might say it feels so good or something. I say, let me, let me help you. Did you do what the Bible said? Oh, yeah. Well, did God say if you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, He would save you? Yeah. Did you confess the Lord Jesus? Did you believe in your heart that God hath raised Him from the dead? Did you ask Him to save you? Well, yeah, I did. Well, 
That's how you can know you're saved. Is because you just obeyed what the Bible said. Amen? And that's a choice that you have to make. Unfortunately, there are going to be some people who miss eternity. Not because they didn't know, but because they never acted on it. And if you don't act on it, what does that mean? It means you never really believed it in the first place, doesn't it? And so, we must hurry on. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And we're just going to try to put a conclusion in here. Maybe finish this up next week. Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to start reading in verse 18. It says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now that's some amazing reading, is it not? That there tells us that God's master plan for people who are saved to show forth the goodness and the grace and the glory of God is the local church. It says, which is His body. Now, people like to believe in this universal invisible thing, but nowhere in the Bible can you find any obligation to deal with things that happen in another church. Paul, as an apostle, did. But we don't have churches going over and trying to straighten out other churches. In fact, you read Revelation chapter 2 and 3. It is Jesus who contacts his individual churches to straighten them out. And by the way, who does he write the letters to? The pastor. Uh, the word in your Bible is angel. That means a messenger. A sent messenger. That's, that's what a pastor is. And so, it says here that Christ is to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. If you want to see Jesus, you need to be here on Sunday morning and Sunday night, Thursday night. Saturday visitation won't hurt one little bit. Uh, Wednesday visitation is good. Special meetings. If you were here for every service in our missions conference last week, those are here. Did anybody regret having come to one of those services? Other than maybe eating too much Saturday night. But it, it certainly wasn't the preaching. I love to hear Brother Clayton preach. And we don't have time to build this whole thing out about the church. We'll start start there, Lord willing, next Sunday morning. But you have to choose church, my friend. Just like you choose salvation. Just like you choose to believe the Word of God. But... Could I just leave it this way? If you choose the Word of God, it demands that you get saved. And if you get saved, it demands that you serve Jesus Christ through a local church. 
And if you don't believe me, come back next Sunday. We'll, we'll try to put all that out. But this is what the Bible talks about. And see, not a one of these decisions is a complicated thing. People say, well, how can I know what church? Well, that's real simple. Get this out and start looking through the Bible and find something that matches the template. I've had people argue and I say, well, you, you know, you can argue all day about what is and isn't in history, but would you, would you, uh, uh, would you just give me this? I said the historical records to trace the true history of the church do not exist. Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. That's why you can't say it exists. Uh, well, excuse me just a minute. He, he said that his church would continue. And so if I can find it in the first century, and I can find it in the second century, and, and the delineating barriers of, uh, or characteristics of that church are in the letters to the churches in Revelation, of which there's some pretty wide variety in there that is still Jesus' church. You know what? I can find it in the 5th century and the 10th century. And once I get to the, 14th, uh, the 16th century and, and on down, it's, it's pretty easy from there. Could I just simply trust what the Bible says for the parts I can't know? I don't think that is an extraordinary leap of faith. And I had somebody try to tell me, well, you can't draw a connection between this group and that group. And I said, you don't know what they believed. I said, you have some writings of what they believed. But how many churches have changed what they believed in even 30 or 40 years? And now you're talking about trying to judge 500 years by one set of documents. I said, that's pretty foolish now. And then they're fairly inconsistent. What you need to do is you need to choose the Word of God. You know what that'll do? That'll bring you to Jesus. You cannot get anything from this Bible except believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If you have anything else, you got it somewhere else. If you study your Bible and nothing else, the only truly religious option open to you is join a Baptist church. I know because I did it. I wasn't raised in a Baptist church. I was raised in a Baptistic church. Which has since become a Baptist church. They did the same thing I did. If you believe this book, it demands some things. And if you want the title for this morning's message, it's Choose Christ. Choose His Word. Choose Him to be your Savior. If you choose Him to be your Savior, we'll talk about the church next week. And we'll talk about your life goals. You see, everybody wants to start with your life goals. That's the problem with the purpose-driven books is they start with your life goals without any foundation in the Word of God. True salvation. Oh, they talk about it. But they put the end before the beginning. And it gets you to an entirely different place. An entirely different form of Christianity. So unrecognizable. That... Pastors who have taken their churches through the transition find out that they have to rid their church of two-thirds to three-quarters of its present membership so that they can transform the church into what they're doing. I can give you names and addresses of churches that have done it. It's a terrifying thing. But it happens. 
Because you didn't choose the word first. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, I just ask that we would, you, the Holy Spirit would give us an opportunity to just honestly investigate what, what is set before us in your word. That we have to choose to believe it as authoritative and, and true and, and, and uh, without error or we wander around in a realm of nothingness with our own selves to answer to. Lord, help us to stop seeing every little nuance of which we can make an excuse not to obey the truth. And with simple childlike faith, just accept the truth that you have given us, which is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is defined in the Word of God. Lord, I pray that as we deal with these weighty matters, that the Holy Spirit will give us clarity of heart to just honestly think and understand the truths that are in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Have Andrew come and lead us in the hymn of invitation. If you need to come and pray, the altar is open. If you're here today, you're not sure about your salvation. You would like to...